Now take your eyes off the papers, ears off the radios for even a moment, and it feels as though the US has been through an entire news cycle and back again. So thank goodness for Bruce Shapiro, who joins us from Connecticut to make sense of it all. He's a contributing editor to The Nation magazine and executive director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia. Bruce, hello. Hey, Kylie. Good to be here. Yes, lovely to hear your voice. Now, let's start with Joe Biden. He, uh, of course, is expected to announce this run for re-election in 2024 any day now. And it sounds as though things are shifting in his direction. It does seem that most Democrats are already behind him. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're... you know, uh, there's one uh, marginal Democrat, Marion Williamson, who's announced a primary challenge. But other than that, everyone from Bernie Sanders all the way to the center of the party um, is standing behind Biden with the presumption that he is going to run again. Um, despite polls showing shakiness in the Democratic electorate around Biden's age and other things. The fact is that he's had a series of wins in Congress and that remarkable um, midterm performance, which has really given him, I think, a solid foundation going forward. And even the issues about his age have diminished greatly in recent weeks. Consider, you know, the, that quite arduous, really demanding trip to Ukraine that I think besides having the political value of meeting with Zelensky and the the principled issues there, showed the world that this is a profoundly energetic president um, and banished a a lot of the sort of ageist concerns to the sidelines. There was some very strong visual messaging around that, wasn't there, from from his visit uh, to the Ukraine. I've got to say, I have slightly um, Hillary Clinton-related panics when I hear your description of, well, yeah, the Democrats are all behind him. Democratic voters, eh, a bit lukewarm. Don't we need Democratic voters to be at the front, you know, ready to walk out on the front lines and demand that Joe Biden is returned as president for this to work? Well, it's, you know, it's an interesting question. I don't quite think the comparison to Hillary Clinton works because um, Biden uh, has such a mastery of governance and of the political process uh, after all of his decades in Washington, which is rather different. Uh, And Clinton was always a divisive figure in the party. I think the doubts of voters are a little different from the divisions of Democratic voters that you saw around Hillary Clinton. It's certainly true that going into what will undoubtedly be a contentious election cycle, particularly if Donald Trump is on the ballot, you want Democrats as energized as possible. The bigger danger is not the kind of squishiness in the polling now, I think. But the biggest danger to that enthusiasm may come from Biden himself, who uh, increasingly is showing some concerns that he needs to shore up what you might think of as his right flank on issues like uh, crime and immigration, which may dampen the enthusiasm of some of his supporters. For example, um, just last week, um, Biden shocked a lot of folks in D.C., in Washington, D.C., by saying that he would uh, support 
a Republican override of Washington, D.C.'s desire to reform its sentencing laws. And this was viewed as a kind of litmus test of eventual self-governance for Washington, D.C., which is a huge, complicated, messy issue in and of itself. But it was seen as a rejection of the kind of police reform, sentencing reform side of the party. And there's something similar going on now around the border where the White House is floating ideas about uh, reinstituting family detentions and talking with a lot of concern about potential floods of migrants um, starting in May after um, the Trump-era public health uh, uh, restrictions on migration expire. So it's a... It's a delicate time for Biden where he is on the one hand trying to keep his progressive support and yet at the same time pivot a bit to the right on issues that he thinks oh, are yes. a broad public concern like <laughs> crime. That well-trodden pivot, it's, it happens Indeed. every time around, doesn't it? But I, I, I'm speaking of kind of squishiness, Donald Trump appeared at CPAC of course, in the last few weeks, the Conservative Political Action Conference, that memorable event in Virginia. I think the the day I was there, we had um, Nigel Farage, Ted Cruz kind of being swamped by youthful fans and a man dressed as Uncle Sam kind of all within the first 10 minutes of being there. It's, it's quite the shindig. Uh, Trump normally, though, or certainly in the past, when he's turned up, he's greeted as a bit of a rock star. This time around... Not so much. I mean, he had some forceful words for his fans that he is their retribution. Is I mean, what was your reading of that? Uh, is there a lukewarmness around him? I, well, you at CPAC, there was not really a lukewarmness around him. He, In fact, he owns CPAC. Where the lukewarmness is, is in fact the a great weakness of the National Conservative Political Action Committee itself. Um, the uh, Nikki Haley showed up there and was essentially booed off the stage as the voice of relatively moderate republicanism. But CPAC is mired in a sexual harassment um, scandal of its own involving its chair, a close Trump ally. Most of the other potential presidential contenders like Ron DeSantis of Florida stayed away, favoring instead the kind of uh, elite conservative club for growth. Um, Trump used it, I, I think, rather forcefully, actually, to make his base case, which on the one hand was repeating all kinds of, of lies and falsehoods and fantasies, which we don't need to regurgitate here, um, but also positioning himself, as he did in 2016, as the candidate of resentment, as a, a kind of far-right populist who was going, went before CPAC and instead of being a traditional conservative saying small government, small government, small government, he said we need to defend uh, Medicare and Social Security from people on the far right who want to take it down. Um, it's, this is the nationalist populist conservatism of Donald Trump. And, I, you know, CPAC itself is weaker. I am not so sure that this demonstrated weakness on Trump's part. Um, he understands, Trump understands, that 
primary politics, especially in the Republican Party, are an exercise in entertainment and that the kind of pro-wrestling smackdown <laughs> was what he wanted to deliver at CPAC. And I actually think he did. He did. It's really way too soon to write Trump off. Sure. I mean, I wasn't meaning to suggest that we should, but I think it, it's just, it's a way of reading the runes, isn't it, of conservatism, CPAC, you know, where CPAC is playing, where CPAC sits. But I, right. well, well, I take your point is, that, right. it's, a, that it's, it, it's a less robust vehicle for that well, maybe well, than it it's was what in the past. It is, Yes, it's now a wholly owned subsidiary of Trump, Inc., at a time when the party leadership is fractured around the former president. And that's really what's going on, right? CPAC represents the Trump wing. Nobody really represents the primary electorate because nobody knows what the primary electorate is yet. And that's the big question. Will Ron DeSantis, who is trying to embrace the Trump agenda without the Trump baggage be able to pick up that that base or is it a non-transferable fund that can go only to Donald Trump? We'll have to see. And briefly, Bruce, to one of the strangest political characters in recent memory, and with all respect, you know, that is something to say in American politics, <laughs> uh, New York Republican George Santos. Now, for those who haven't had the kind of bandwidth to take on Mr Santos yet, remind our listeners, if you can, about his significance. Lie, 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 lie. I mean, this is George Santos, first-term Republican member of Congress, um, got elected by inventing jobs for himself, inventing Jewish identity for himself that didn't exist, lying and lying and lying so many times about so many things that I can't even begin to summarize it now. Um, in some ways, he exemplifies the the advanced post-Trump Republican Party, um, but he's, his his troubles have actually taken a very serious turn. Um, he is this week facing um, a House Ethics Committee investigation. Um, he's not just a pariah for lying. It appears whether he uh, that he may have engaged in sexual misconduct that he may have uh, committed fraud with campaign funds and there's um you know it's hard to know if he would actually be expelled from congress because uh, house uh house speaker kevin mccarthy needs every vote to hold on to his majority but um it's fair to say that santos uh is headed nowhere good and indeed he's under federal um it, federal criminal investigation as well as ethics investigation. This is a an entertaining sidelight that is also – that goes to the heart of the problems the Republican Party has in the post-Trump era. Mm, he he seems to be following in someone's footsteps, doesn't he, to, to some extent. But um, thank you so much, Bruce Shapiro, for joining us. Very glad to be here and happy International Women's Day. <laughs> Likewise. That's Bruce Shapiro, contributing editor with The Nation magazine and executive director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. Bruce will be back in a fortnight. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.